Hello, friends. This is Ken Aldrich, head of school. And in this edition of the Quaker Matters podcast, we get to hear from our interim head of lower school, Chris Leffler. In this episode, Chris discusses the importance of lower school students having a routine during the school year, numerous ways in which friends encourages lower school students to advocate for themselves, how he supports students and teachers throughout each school day, and Chris shares his own friend's experience as a student. Hope you enjoy. There's a lot of moments as a teacher where you're thinking about how is a child understanding themselves better and how are they understanding the world better? Because realistically, that's you have to balance those two. And I think if we can create um, a community here that allows kids to understand themselves better and understand the world better, then it's that's what leads to a more peaceful world because then they can go out into the world being confident in who they are and also having enough understanding of what's around them but also probably enough curiosity about what they don't know yet to have you know to learn to have an impact to connect with people in a way that's really meaningful for them to another episode of the Quaker Matters podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by the interim head of lower school and Wilmington Friends School class of 2000 graduate, Chris Leffler. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Last year, former head of the lower school, Julie Rodowski, gave some really helpful tips and tricks for parents with lower school children, grades pre-K through second and really just focusing on the transition from summer back to being in the classroom each and every day. This year, Chris, we wanted to look at that same transition, but for students in grades two through five, and again, just sort of how parents can really navigate this transition and set their children up for success. So first, and we're going to focus a lot on the idea of independence and and how we can kind of continue to give our children independence because they're yearning for it. So let's start there. As students continue to develop and get older, why do they want more control and agency over their own decisions? It's probably not a whole lot different from us as adults. Uh, We don't really love people telling us what to do. And unfortunately for kids, that's just part of being a child is you have a lot of adults around you telling you what to do when to wake up, when to get to school, what to wear. Um, And so your day is filled with lots of direction. And so kids need that outlet to have their own choice, their own agency over what they do. And so the more we direct, the more they want uh, to direct their own lives. And so it's really important that we help them find the places for that, find out where it works, when they can make their own choices, when, when it works for us, as whether it's a family or a classroom or a school. But they, you know, they're going to want that, that ownership over their day as much as they can. So it's our job to, to fill that in and, and help them make those choices. Um, one of the phrases that I, I love is, don't do anything for your child that they can do for themselves. So you think about sort of that older student, first to second grade, I remember my son doing it, um, learning how to tie his shoes. And it's just, you know, it's one of those things that is tough early morning when you're trying to get to school 
and you're watching them tie those shoes and you just want to get out the door. But you also have to let them do it because if you keep doing it for them, then they won't learn or they just then think you're going to do it for them forever. And so you have to hand some of those things over. And sometimes that means getting your morning routine started earlier so they have time to tie their shoes or time to pack their bag or time to make their lunch or things like that. So as they get older, we try to hand off more and more. Um, even our preschoolers, our preschool, our two-year-olds are putting their bags away, uh, their lunch boxes, their water bottles. So if the two-year-olds can put their bags away, then our you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds can do a lot more than that. Continuing to think about choices and routines how might parents be able to give their children more choices, more autonomy when it comes to their daily routine once they arrive home after a long day of school? And specifically, I'm thinking of when a student were to get home, are they doing homework first? Are they playing with friends first? Are they having a snack first? So those types of choices, how can parents allow students to kind of make their own path again after this long day of school. Yeah, and so every kid is different, every family is different. So I think it's it's important to have conversations with kids as much as you can to feel, to figure out what's right. Um, because even within a family, kids are different. So you might have one child who really wants to do their homework right away, get it done, and then go play for the rest of the evening. Um, another kid who might come home and be kind of exhausted and like, I'm done with school right now. Please don't make me do any homework. Um, I need to take a break. So you need to give them that time. Um, so having conversations and trying things out, right? You might try out for a week. Okay, we're going to do 30 minutes of a break. Then you're going to go read and then you'll have time to play for the rest of the evening. And obviously balancing sports teams, piano practices, dance lessons, things like that play into the conversation. So you, as kids get older and they take on more activities, um, you want to help them make those choices as much as they can. But yeah, that, that kind of end of day routine, you want it to be somewhat routine. Now you might change it every once in a while, but you want to have an idea when you get home and you go inside, what do we do? Okay, we put our lunch away. We um, maybe we get out a book and read for a little bit and then we have some family time or whatever it is that builds up to your, you know, your evening kind of end of day, go to bed routine. But I think thinking about it as a routine, talking to your kids about what that might be and giving them choice where they can um, is, is really helpful. How can we make this process fun for the students themselves as this could maybe feel like another thing added on their plate? I'm, I'm really lucky. My wife is a preschool teacher. Um, so she helped my child, my son, develop a lot of these skills. So I remember one thing we used to do with packing lunches was sort of this gradual letting him take a little bit of ownership, right? Not, you know, he wasn't packing cookies and Hershey Kisses every day. But, um, but we gave him choice over what else goes in his lunch. So we might say, okay, you're going to have your peanut butter and jelly or your yogurt, kind of help him with his main thing. Um, but we would do some prep on the weekend of like what snacks would be available. So it can be, you know, sometimes it's making little containers of things. Sometimes it's just the store-bought chip, bag of chips and uh, whatever else you need. And, and, you know, give them choice over what fruit. So you might have a couple options of oranges and apples and they get to pick each day. Um, so each night he would be able to kind of go to the snack bin and put them in. So that was a way for him to enjoy it and it gave him ownership like we talked about 
Um, other things that are fun, like if you think about homework routines um, or schoolwork, you know, letting kids pick their books is really important. I know it can be tough. I felt it, you know, when my kid was picking graphic novels every night. And I was like, I'd really love you to read a chapter book once in a while. But what's more important is that they really enjoy reading, right? It's not necessarily that they have to have chapter books in front of them all the time. I mean, you think about fun, just family time, like trying to set aside family time where you can play board games. And uh, sometimes I know our, like our first and second grade teachers will send home games that you can play with your kids to help them develop, whether it's language or math skills. So building that into your schedule as a parent, you know, it can be hard to put down our own phones or devices sometimes, and we have to, we need to model that for our kids. So the more we can do that and set aside time to enjoy reading with them, whether maybe it's family reading time, I know that's hard to do, um, or it's just doing some of their, you know, homework activities with them can, can help them find the fun in some things that, you know, not every kid is super excited to do. Another critical skill that we hope second, third, fourth, and fifth graders continue or start to develop is this idea of communicating and advocating for yourself both in and out of the classroom. And I guess I'm just curious as to what are some best practices for parents in helping guide their children through this process? I think, and some kids are natural negotiators. Uh, they, they, I don't know where they get it exactly, but they've developed skills at a really early age on how to sometimes negotiate everything and other kids are very shy and don't advocate for themselves so you might have kids on either end of the spectrum um, and it's important to help either one sort of work towards the middle a little bit for the shy kids to speak up um, so for the shy kids it's really about giving them sort of positive feedback when they do um, letting them know how important it is or how valuable you found it that they advocated for themselves and supporting them in doing it, hopefully giving them the opportunity if they ask for something to provide that for them if you can. For the highly skilled negotiator, um, it's about maybe helping them figure out when it is okay to negotiate and when it's not up for negotiation. Because, you know, those things, there are certain kids where you look at it and you go, those will be really valuable skills later in life. Sometimes it's odd when you see an eight or nine year old negotiating the way that certain kids do, but but you also don't want to just squash those skills because they are valuable skills. So being clear as a parent of like, this is a time to, to negotiate and this isn't, um, trying to set that out from the beginning, like, hey, we're doing this tonight and there's not we're not gonna have a discussion about it, but we have to do it. And other times opening yourself up as a parent to say, hey, here are, are our options tonight. Do we want, you know, it could be a dinner choice, it could be an activity choice. Um, and give it, like we said, if you give kids more choice throughout the day, they're a little less likely to push back at those other times where you, where you need them to be a little more compliant. We've talked a lot about the various changes, whether it's communicating, whether it is making your own choices. I'm curious as to, at this age level, how does conflict between one another change? The easiest way to describe it is that the impact lasts longer. So when kids are in kindergarten, first grade, the conflicts aren't always that much different at the beginning, but the impact is different. So kids, you know, if I knock over your toy or I don't, you know, I cheat a little bit at recess, kids move on faster, right? They, they get over it. Kids typically apologize quickly and they move to the next thing. Whereas older kids, they recognize um, the longer term impact of it 
and how they play together on the playground. If a kid continues to make not so great choices, then they may not want to play with them as much anymore. And then it creates a social challenge that's different, right? And so um, as kids get older, they recognize, you know, the choices they make and how they impact others and how that affects them socially, right? And so the idea of making, like sometimes kids who make a bad choice randomly sort of, they they didn't intend to have a a negative impact on somebody, recognize the impact they had afterwards. And then they're kind of working through that, right? So they're worried about, well, maybe this friend won't want to play with me tomorrow. So they're thinking about it. Um, So you have to help them have that conversation of like, what can you do to rebuild that relationship? And then you have kids who are on the receiving end of maybe a choice that they didn't like, the negative impact. And they're questioning, you know, the social relationship they have with another kid. And so that's the part that you're navigating and you're helping kids navigate, right? That they are navigating that social relationship in a different way. It's not as easy to get past it. So the conversations sometimes take longer. Sometimes you need to let kids think about it a little more and you might need to come back and talk about it the next day. Like they may, they may need more time to process it. So those, you know, the longer term impact is definitely how conflicts change and the way we talk about it sometimes takes more time and a little more effort to help kids uh, move through it both kind of on the individual side and as a group as children gain more independence make more choices some of these choices may not work out in these moments of failure you know whether it's failure to complete the necessary reading or failure to make the right choice at recess when you're playing a game how can parents help their children in these moments knowing that like the natural move would be to rush in and try to fix it but but we want to probably try to avoid that so instead of rushing in and fixing it immediately for the child how can parents still be productive in this in in these moments but also help their child grow i mean it goes back to that idea of don't do for your children what they can do for themselves so when they can work through it on the, their own you want to let them work through it on their own and sometimes that just means time often with challenges there's like the immediate solution you need and then there's the longer term solution so if you think about a conflict and you know a friendship kind of conflict there might be something that happens in the classroom or on the playground And if it's, you know, the kids are frustrated with each other, the immediate need might be to give them space, right? Like, let's go work in separate areas or let's play different games. So that's like the, that's the thing where the adult does need to step in and say, let's do this to give ourselves kind of the time and space to get to the the more important longer term solution. Um, So you got to figure out that immediate thing. And some kids need a lot of coaching to help them get to that longer term solution. And some kids just need the time. Um, and you might give them like, hey, I want you to think about this before you talk to your friend and what you're going to say. You just need time to think about it. But it is really important. I think teachers, especially uh, parents are going to feel it too. Teachers feel it in the sense of like, hey, we have music now and we've got to get there or we have to start math now. Like the, the daily schedule is moving regardless of the conflicts that happen. So, you know, I can imagine a car ride home where there's conflict. You might be going to that piano lesson or soccer practice and you're like, I know this is a big thing, but we, we got to move on with our day because this thing's coming up. 
sometimes that's actually really helpful. Sometimes it's like, all right, let's do math and then we'll talk about it after math because that actually gives kids space. Sometimes at home it's kind of like, all right, you're gonna go to soccer practice, you're gonna go hang out with me in the car and we'll talk about this later. So that can actually be really valuable for kids to just have time. And then in that time, you might check in with them, see how they're feeling, give them kind of see what support they might need without trying to do too much. Because I think we all know as parents or teachers that if you push too hard, then the kid will push back at you and they'll just get more frustrated, which makes it almost impossible to solve the problem. As the adult in those conversations, how can being curious and asking questions be really productive and helpful for the child? It's the thing we, as adults, we have to force ourselves to do. It's not our, our natural inclination, I think, is to fix, right? This thing feels broken. I can fix it. I know because I'm a, an adult. I've had these experiences and I want to fix it for my child. Um, but unfortunately, the reason we're good at them now, the reason that we kind of know how to fix it is because we've gone through them and we had to fix them on our own, not because our parents fixed them for us. And so asking questions about what kids need is the most important thing we can practice as adults because it does two things. One, it, it gives that ownership to the kid over, this isn't my problem as the parent or the teacher. I'm happy to help you, but it is your challenge to work through. So that like gives them that ownership right away. And we can, you know, it kind of puts the onus on them to come up with some ideas. We can help with ideas too. We can offer ideas throughout, but we need to let them start that process of what went wrong, what could we do to fix this, and let them start generating ideas, and then we can help and say, oh, that's interesting. What if we did it this way? Or here's an idea. Here's this is one where I think adults can provide that curious question at the beginning, but then also provide the experience of like, when I was your age, this is what I did and it worked well, or maybe it didn't work well. Like, so they, it gives them some, not only guidance, but sort of something to build off of. Cause sometimes when they're coming up with ideas, it's just, it feels like it's coming out of the blue, but really good questions are the most important tool you can use kind of whenever you're helping kids through a situation. Thank you, Chris, for just taking the time to share your thoughts and some some wise nuggets that parents might be able to take away and and really start to implement as we get closer and closer to the start of a new school year. I do want to transition a little bit here to you and your really educational career and the time that you have spent at Wilmington Friends as both a student and also a faculty member. So could you just first tell our audience how you were first introduced to Wilmington Friends School? So I remember visiting friends. I was in fourth grade. That was my first time touring and I was with my family and I remember uh, Bob Tattersall. Somehow my dad met Bob Tattersall as part of, you know, an open house kind of thing. And he ended up giving us like our own personal tour and mainly focusing on the athletic facilities because, uh, well, that's what my brother and I were most interested in at the time. And so that was that was my first introduction to the school. A couple of years ago, we produced a little video about the Friends Lower School. And in that video, you spoke about how Friends really helped bring out your voice when you came in as a new fifth grader in so much as you were just a little bit more shy, a little bit more reserved. So I want to know, how did Friends and the Lower School help bring out your voice. So I was definitely the on the shyer side 
And so I was, you know, I was at a public school in my area, just over the border in Pennsylvania. It was a good school and I was doing okay. It wasn't, there weren't any like big problems, but I feel like I've, looking back, I can think of this. Um, and I know my parents recognized it at the time that I was a bit lost in the shuffle and that I wasn't kind of coming out of my shell or figuring out who I was and, you know, what I wanted to be. Um, I think I found little things here and there, but didn't have as much maybe confidence in school as they wanted me to have or as I even wanted to have in myself. So um, when I came, you know, obviously being in a smaller classroom probably helped in terms of getting to know teachers and, and other kids. But teachers really took time to get to know me. Fifth grade was, you know, it was that first year can be tricky. I wouldn't say it was like this aha moment of like this is the perfect place in that first year but over time you know you get to know so many teachers and they you know it's like it's very it's a lot of little moments i can think of a lot of little moments with teachers that helped me feel more confident with who i was and and try out things that i wouldn't have tried anywhere else and so fifth grade was a great opportunity to kind of i could definitely feel a difference here um, a way that like in class projects that i was able to speak out a little more and and I think part of it was also that teachers gave us a little more opportunity and ownership over projects whereas you know your group was expected to do a lot of work and they knew you could they knew you were capable and they gave you the support you needed but um, it wasn't as scripted I think as the experiences I've had I had in my other school there was more yeah just more ownership for kids in each part of your school day who were those impactful teachers and coaches that created those small moments that really empowered you. And and I actually think the other thing is, I guess I think about that question, there are, there are so many teachers that had positive impacts who may or may not know, right? Like that may have helped me in a way that was very small to them. I mean, like I said Bob Tattersall's name already. It's hard to find one person who impacted me as much as he did because he was, I had him as a seventh grade basketball coach. Um, he was my football coach through high school. He was my baseball coach for a season. I had him in PE class, right? He, I, I spent a lot of time with Bob Tattersall. And there are things that happen on the athletic field that are just different than the classroom. You know, he eventually, he was at my wedding and was one of the, you know, people who spoke, you know, it was a Quaker wedding where he, and he stood up and said something like that will forever have an impact on me. So, it would be hard for anybody to live up to, to the standard that he set. But the number of teachers that had an impact are really high. And when I think about like Megan Hagenbarth, was Megan Wall. Um, she taught me when I was in sixth and seventh grade in science. She was just, and she still is, right? I'm fortunate my son is in her class now. She just loves kids and makes you believe in yourself in a different way. And I'll, this small thing, but for whatever, Kentucky basketball was really good at the time. And she was going to Kentucky for some reason. I don't know why. And weirdly enough, I said, like, oh, it'd be cool to get a Kentucky basketball something. I don't know, even know if I asked. She brought back a Kentucky basketball hat for me. She didn't bring it back for everybody in the class. And I didn't expect to get anything back. But it is that part about voice, right? Like, she actually heard my voice. I still look back and think, I, I, I wish I had the hat. I'm sure it got lost somewhere in all the moves. But... Um, that it, like I don't need the hat to know that she cared about me in some way to hear that question and bring that back. Um, I think about Katie Kenny when I was a senior. It was her first year at the school. I didn't really like reading. 
I, and she knows this. I told the story at one point. Um, it was the first class I remember reading a book and really enjoying it. And and I started to actually read like my senior year of high school into college. That's I read all the time now. I did not do that at all growing up. That was a big shift for me. And she was she helped make that impact. So I can list a lot of teachers that had a big impact. And yeah, and but they were they're kind of all these small moments, which looking back, I can remember them very vividly. Why did you want to get into education? Once it dawned on me that I had been doing it for a while. Uh, so I was in college. I took intro to education uh, because it seemed interesting and it fit some kind of course requirement I needed. I had no plan to take it and go into the education field. But as soon, like a couple of classes in, it was clear that like this is really, like I care about this in, in a different way than any other course I took. And... What I realized is, you know, my dad was a basketball coach and he coached a bunch of sports. Basketball was kind of the main one. Uh, my mom always wanted to be a teacher, but stayed at home because I'm one of five kids. So there were, there was basically always a baby at home. Uh, and then she eventually became a teacher later in life. But I've been working summer camps with my dad since I was about 13 doing sports. And I realized as I was taking that education course that like, oh, this is, I've been doing this and I like it. And I had never thought about it as a career path for whatever reason. So, but it, it clicked all of a sudden that like this is this is what I want to do. And part of it was that idea of like I've had such a great experience here um, that teachers gave me gave back to me in a way that I didn't expect it when I was in the school. That I wanted to do the same thing for other kids uh, to help them gain their voice, to come out of their shell, to see the world in a different way. The way teachers helped me. So, how did your career? at Friends start? Was it something that you felt drawn to Friends because of this great experience that you've spoken about? Or yeah, just walk us through that process of really how you got here. I took a year right afterward. I got lucky to have get this kind of teaching internship in England right after I was done at Swarthmore. Um, so I spent a year there and sometime in that year, and I don't know, maybe it was during Swarthmore when I learned about it, but I found out about the associate program. I knew I wanted to be an elementary teacher I had not done student teaching yet, so I needed. To, I wanted to do my student teaching. Um, so the associate program was a great way for me. You know, I was thinking about like, I think I'm ready to be a lead teacher, but I'm not sure. So the associate program gave me the opportunity to learn more about like September to June, what a classroom is really like. Um, I was able to do my student teaching while I was here as an associate. Um, and obviously being back here was, you know, I was excited to come back. I was excited to come back in the classroom. I was excited to go, you know, coach in the athletic fields with some of my former coaches. Um, so it was a, yeah, really exciting opportunity for me to come back here. You mentioned there that you knew you really wanted to work with lower school students. Why was that? You know, I do actually remember in one of those education courses thinking, and I, I don't think I was really right, but this is what I thought at the time, that... Like if you can lay a really good foundation, right? If you can build a great foundation for kids, then some of the challenges that they run into in middle and high school will be easier for them to get through. So that idea of, I don't wanna wait until middle and high school to teach students um, after they've built some bad habits or you know, I'm helping them kind of work through some challenges that they've had since they were younger. The idea was let's work with them while they're really young and help them develop those skills early on. That was the idea. I also think, you know, I was doing um, some observations, like as part of any education course where you're going to classes, and I 
I think I always kind of pushed my way into elementary classrooms and I was, I just loved being there. I think, you know, as a teacher, you kind of figure out where you fit. Um, I've been lucky enough to work with all the ages, but mostly coaching in middle and upper school. But there was something that kind of just kept pulling me into elementary that young kids are, are a lot of fun for me to work with. And other teachers, yeah, it's obviously they, they get pulled in the other direction toward middle, high school, college. But that was, it be, it was easy to see. It was a very, it felt like a natural fit for me in the younger years. Can you discuss the significance of the carpool line and why you find that time greeting kids so valuable? Yeah, so it's funny. I hear, I talk to other principals at schools, I talk to other teachers, and some of them really don't like car line, they don't like early morning duties. And, and I understand it's one more thing to do sometimes. Maybe it's because I've been lucky enough to be in preschool, right? Like, it's hard not to smile when a three-year-old says hi to you in the morning. And it's hard not to, you know, be excited that you're able to help a parent when their kid's crying in the morning too, right? Like, I get both ends, the kid who is thrilled to walk through the door and the other kid who has, you know, kung fu grip on their parent's leg and not they don't want to let go. Um, and so, you know, being that person to say hi and to welcome people, people and help them feel like, yeah, this is, my kid's going to have a good day. I don't know. I think there's probably more of a selfish side for me that it's a great way for me to start my day. I'm glad that I've gotten some feedback that it's helpful for me to be there and saying hi and smiling and even when it's raining and you got an umbrella, whether it's on the up on the top of the circle watching cars come down or um, on the preschool pre-K playground, that feedback is really helpful because sometimes you don't know. <laughs> but I, you know, there there are times where the kid is screaming and crying. My son was the same way when he when I had to drop him off. Um, and I walk them in and take them to their classroom and within five minutes they're smiling and playing with their friends and that's you know that's a reward in itself like okay yep this kid's in the great in a great place they're gonna have a great day if you can you know try to send a text to a parent to say hey they're doing awesome right now because that is I remember that it's really worrying when you're dropping your kid off and they're not they, they just want to hang on to you as much as they can and you're you're like I gotta go to work so yeah, so I think it is, it's a really important part of the day because, you know, kids want to see a friendly face, parents want to see a friendly face. Um, and and it's also nice, there's a part of, you know, kids getting to play with each other before the day starts. That's community building in itself. It can be hard sometimes when you walk in, you like when we were walk into the office, right at, you know, at eight o'clock or whatever it is, and it's like, all right, I got to start my day. When you have that time on the playground, it lets you kind of ease into the day. And that's a really nice thing, too, for the kids and the adults, I think. In your previous role as the assistant head of lower school and now in your current role as the interim head of the lower school, how are you supporting both teachers and students on a daily basis? Yeah, so as assistant head, it was very like there was a kind of specific role that when kids were having challenges and teachers needed some help getting helping the kids get through it I was there to help them and there obviously is also time where I'm helping parents and teachers um, at the same time um, I think that the interesting thing is you move from teacher to administrator you lose direct impact on kids like the you, you, you don't get as much of it at least um, and that's why sometimes those like morning good morning greetings and end of day um, putting kids in cars and helping them get on you know to their afternoon can be really valuable because I don't have as much direct contact with kids all day um, so my impact you know from 
being in the classroom to being assistant head to now as interim head um, is less direct, but also I can have an impact on actually more kids, right? So by um, working more closely with parents and teachers, there's kind of that ripple effect that you actually can impact kids from all the way from literally your two-year-olds all the way up to fifth grade. When I was teaching in fifth grade, I had an impact on those fifth graders each day. Now I'm trying to have an impact on every student in some ways every day, even though it's an indirect impact. So for me, it's really about giving feedback, connecting with teachers in a way that helps them have that direct impact on kids. So being in classrooms is really, it's one of my favorite times of the day, but it's probably also the most valuable. Um, because I get to see what's happening. Um, I get to see both what the teacher's doing, but also how the kids are reacting. I get to give feedback. I get to let teachers know what awesome things are, are happening and uh, to keep those going. I get to ask really good questions, that part about curiosity, right? I get to say like, hey, help me understand this. I didn't, I didn't know you did this before. Can I understand? And, and so I get to learn from that. Um, sometimes I'm posing questions and say, hey, let's maybe we let's think about this differently so we can have a bigger impact on kids and their learning academically or socially. And so, you know, I, and it allows me to talk to parents, too, and say, you know, I've been in classrooms. I, I would hate to, to be a, I don't know what it would be like to be a principal who has to be in their office. Um, I hear from them sometimes when I talk to other principals who don't get to go in classrooms. And, you know, when parents ask me you know, hey, tell me more about this thing. I can speak really directly to it. This is what I see when your child is in this, you know, part of the day for math, or this is what it looks like on the playground. Um, that's for me. That's how I get to kind of touch everything in the school um, and feel like I can have that impact and by giving feedback, whether it's the teachers, parents, or kids when, when it makes sense. In doing some prep for this interview, I was reading your blog, and your blog is titled The Lost Teacher. And you wrote, this is at the beginning of the 21-22 school year, playing off the popular phrase and commercial, Be Like Mike, you said that you would like to start the Be Like Giannis campaign after Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Bucks do-it-all playmaking forward. Um, this came after an incredible play that he made in Game 4 of the NBA Finals, and instead of basking in the afterglow of this amazing play, he responded to questions about it by simply saying that the play was in the past and he was here in the present. So you you noted and wrote how you were impressed with how Giannis handled himself and his balance between ego, pride, and humility. So I guess I want to like apply this to education and just ask you, how can teachers do this? How can they be more like Giannis? So I think the one, one I'll say, like, I do want to write more in my blog. So for anybody who goes and checks out the blog, there's not not a lot of recent posts, but still, I think some good ones. That was um, a good one. I that, enjoyed it. That was one of my favorite probably to write, too. Like, that was one that um, sometimes they take a while to, like, figure out the idea. That one was a, like, a bit of stream of consciousness, right? I, f I had such an immediate um, reaction to watching him talk, like, I was so impressed and kind of energized and motivated and in a way that was like, I have to write about this, right? Because it was so kind of visceral in the moment. Um, and he's, he was probably like 26 at the time. I think that's part of what makes it so impressive. He's such a, he's a young man who like has his head on his shoulders. And, and there are reasons, right? He is, 
he is a he was a refugee now he's in america with his family like trying to figure out life right like he's had to mature faster than most right and but i I don't know if everybody knows that story right his story and it's one worth knowing but to be a 26 year old to make a play that essentially could a lot of people might say like won them the nba finals um that if he doesn't make they don't win the series and to go yeah it was a good play but i need to focus on the next play that's that's weird it's honestly weird and so to help kids get to that point like if we can help kids get to anywhere close to that like we've done an amazing job so in terms of being like Giannis, you know like he got a lot of positive feedback for that and i think that's part of the thing like he knew he didn't need to he didn't need to gloat like i'm sure he celebrated i can't remember what it looked like on the court when he did it i think he kind of just kept playing because the play was going on though mm-hmm. uh, but i'm sure he had plenty of time in the locker room to celebrate and you know get a lot of pats on the back from his teammates a lot of you know the media saying he was you know the greatest player in the nba which he will, probably was that year it was like he knew that was like yeah i'll get a lot of positive feedback and that's great and i'll enjoy it but mostly like i have to move on to the next thing and for him it was you know there's another game to play he didn't have a lot of time to go like let me just bask in the glow of you know this moment because if i do that then i might we might not win and and it'll be like this great moment in a in like what might become like an agonizing defeat in the championship and i think when we think about like what's that mean for teachers and kids we want kids to feel that really positive feedback we want to celebrate them as much as we can in the moment but we also don't want them or you know teachers when we get positive feedback to bask in the glow for too long to have the maturity to for our guys that are are so young to grow into that maturity yes i can feel really good about something and i can also be kind of present and care about the people around me um, I think part of it for him was it was very clear he was the best player on the, at that point the best team in the NBA. But he also had four other p- people on the court with him on the court, and you know seven, eight, nine other guys who were on the bench cheering him on, supporting him, and he knew how important everybody was to the win. And so that's one of those things that like being like him gives you the chance to go like, yeah, I was pretty great, like I was pretty awesome in that moment. Um, but I also wouldn't have been that awesome or I wouldn't be getting all this positive feedback if it weren't for all the people around me who've supported me, who've gotten me to a point where I could make that great play in that great moment um, and make myself look good, make our team look good. Um, and so, I don't know, there's just such maturity in that, especially for somebody his age, um, to recognize that. He's not, you know, the twilight of his career and he's got... 15 years of experience to draw on but he's obviously had a lot of great mentors to help him get there right so whether it's coaches parents they've they've given him like such a strong foundation to build on at not basketball wise not academically just as a human being like he's a great human being like he's a great person for our kids to watch and go that's a role model um and so the more we can do that um, that we can say, yeah, we did something great, but also there are a lot of people around me who helped me do that great thing. I think that's what helps you stay in the moment because you care so much about the community that helped you get there.
your son Colton is now entering seventh grade. How has it been sharing the friends experience with him? It's been amazing. Like I, yeah, it's it's a gift I've been given in a lot of ways, um, and I wouldn't trade for anything. I talked about how drop off was pretty tough when he was two and three years old. He didn't. Part of it, he knew I was in the building, so like he knew he could probably find me if he got out of his classroom and he tried a couple times. So those were hard, but I still wouldn't trade those for anything. You know, I got to watch him grow up in a way that most parents don't. Um, I had to be very intentional about trying not to be too close, you know, not to go into his room too often. When I was when I moved in the assistant head position, when I was in my classroom, it was easy. I was in my classroom all day. I got to pick him up at the end of the day and ask his teachers how he was doing and um, that was really valuable but as an administrator when I was assistant head you know I was in rooms I was sometimes on the playground sometimes I was the one helping him with conflict resolution he and a friend that was those were really tricky moments I had to be really intentional about those moments but I, I had to be intentional about giving him space but I also got to be there frequently you know I got to see moments that not every parent gets to see so um yeah, I've been really lucky that I've been able to do that. I've been lucky just, I think any faculty member here is that you know the other teachers, um, you get to develop relationships with them. Um, so those are things that you know most parents don't always get. And yeah, so I, yeah, I wouldn't trade it. I, I'm glad that we've had the opportunity to do it together. Let's transition to our Mad Minute segment, rapid fire Q&A between us. First question, favorite spot on the Wilmington Friends School campus? All right, lower school is the meeting room. It's just the most peaceful place. Upper school is the West Gym with no one in it. There's a really cool, like, and I've obviously thought about this before. Um, gymnasiums are very um, cathedral-like at times. Um, not that our meeting room is, I don't know, it is cathedral-like a little bit, you know. It's not as... Uh, detailed and not as uh, fancy as a lot of cathedrals but there's like a piece to it so like as a coach I was often the first one in the gym the lights were out and there were times where I'd go in the gym I wouldn't turn the lights on for a little while and just kind of like take it all in um, sometimes you sit on the lay down on the floor sit on the floor and there's a there's a bit of like a meeting room feel to it um, that I really enjoyed so Favorite athletic memory here at Wilmington Friends as a student athlete yourself? Uh, the best moment was throwing a game-winning touchdown pass. It was uh, – we, we had a really good season. I think we went 8-1. and one. Um, And we, we were playing Bow Manor. We had lost to them three years in a row. I think it was three years in a row. Re in really close games. We lost the – Two seasons before, we missed a two-point conversion that would have won. The season before, uh, we lost by a touchdown. They came back and beat us by a touchdown. And then my senior year, we were down by three with four minutes left. I threw an interception, and then we got the ball back. <laughs> so that was where I thought that was it. And then we scored with about 20 seconds left. It was like it was one of those plays where, like, I don't even know how the guy ended up open. Like he shouldn't have been open. He was almost the last guy I looked at, and he's in the end zone by himself and got the ball. So that was the best moment. Favorite food? Tacos. Favorite TV show? The Wire is the first one that comes to mind. Favorite musical artist? Are these harder than I thought? Dixie Chicks. 
Last two questions for you, ring the bell segment. First question, what is your most memorable moment here at Friends as an educator? Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's not an exact moment, but um, when I was in third grade, when I was teaching third grade, I got to work over the summer with a guy named John Hunter. He created something called the World Peace Game. Um, and he had this TED talk and it was brilliant. And then he came here, we, he was here at our school doing a workshop. And so I got to work with him for a week and design. And it wasn't like it had to come out of the week, but out of that week, I started designing this game um, called Makoche that we played in third grade to help kids. It was a simulation game about sort of Native American experience on the plains for plains tribes. And it took about, you know, nine months to like, probably seven, eight months to create the game and like really feel good about it and launch it with the class. Um, but was, that was probably my proudest moment as a teacher was creating this thing that I really loved creating, kids really loved doing, and I think they learned a lot out of it. Last question, what is your why? So interestingly, last summer, a, an associate teacher asked me, and kind of in jest, I didn't know it was in jest until after, uh, but she asked me what my favorite spice was. <laughs> and she was like, I didn't actually think you'd pick one. <laughs> Uh, but I picked one because I know what it is. It's actually always been pretty clear. It's peace. So like peace is, I think, the ultimate purpose for me. So like I think everything we do at the lower school is working towards a more peaceful community here and a more peaceful world outside of here. Um, so that can be a one-on-one -on -one conversation with kids on the playground about a conflict. Right? That's pretty directly but very small um, impact peace in the world. And then it's also thinking about those, you know, the curriculum, the creating a game where kids understand the world in a better way. Um, having them, whether, you know, there's a lot of moments as a teacher where you're thinking about how is a child understanding themselves better and how are they understanding the world better? Because realistically, that's, you have to balance those two. And I think if we can create um, a community here that allows kids to understand themselves better, and understand the world better, then it's that's what leads to a more peaceful world because then they can go out into the world being confident in who they are and also having enough understanding of what's around them, but also probably enough curiosity about what they don't know yet to have, you know, to learn, to have an impact, to connect with people in a way that's really meaningful for them.